This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 133 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Today, we're talking about Rutgers men's basketball season concluded last week. Double overtime loss in the first four to Notre Dame. Wild game, arguably the best game of the NCAA tournament so far uh, with the Sweet 16 taking place this weekend. You know, it's kind of funny with New Jersey basketball. It was the first time three New Jersey schools have been in the NCAA tournament in a long time. And, uh, you know, between St. Peter's being the story of the NCAA tournament, making the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed and Rutgers, which I've seen pretty much so many different writers and people on on Twitter that cover college basketball saying it was the best game so far, Rutgers-Notre Dame. Obviously, not a consolation for Rutgers fans. You know, extremely disappointing result. 89-87 loss to Notre Dame. Just a very strange game. And I guess, you know, appropriate in a way in an extremely strange season. A lot to kind of process and uh, decompress on. I've written a few articles this week, um, but just wanted to take a few minutes to kind of, you know, talk through a few things about this game and then um, get to our, our guest that's going to help process through it as well. But, you know, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, Rutgers lost because they didn't do what, you know, really is their identity, and that's play defense. And um, uh, obviously with 69 all at the end of regulation, not not a, a huge amount of points. Rutgers, uh, as we know, you know, holding opponents under 65 points were undefeated against high major opponents uh, going into this game, weren't able to do it. And then once I got into the overtimes, I mean, it really was the floodgates kind of open on both sides. I mean, you know, uh, 20 to 18 margin in uh, 10 minutes in overtime, both teams were, were scoring uh, huge baskets. But really the problem was, I mean, you know, the game plan, obvious. Rutgers trying to take away the three from Notre Dame, which they did fairly well. But I don't think anyone expected Notre Dame to, uh, with their five spread offense, you know, be able to 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 just blow by defenders the way they were. And I think, you know, I've heard, you know, was Paikalau coached, you know, listen, did he have his best day? I, I don't think so. But at the same time, I mean, it really comes down to execution. And, you know, I can't remember a game where, you know, and this this there's no one to blame. I mean, the entire team, you know, the Rutgers is beating them off the bounce repeatedly. Um, you know, Wesley for Notre Dame was a problem. Uh, they put multiple defenders on him. And, and and really, I mean, even on shots he missed, you know, he got to the rim time after time. The screening action that they, they gave getting Paul Atkinson open, he had just a monster game. And, and, and really, I, if there was a coaching stroke that I was most impressed with, it was, you know, and it goes to depth too, was, was, was Mike Gray for Notre Dame. You know, he sat Atkinson out the entire first overtime and then brought him in in the second overtime. And he just had another year. You know, Rutgers was unable to stop. Obviously, the dagger with the offensive rebound and put back with two seconds to go was the difference or a second and a half to go. You know, but at the end of the day, I mean, Rutgers could, couldn't stop penetration. And when you can't stop penetration, it's pretty hard to defend. And Notre Dame was able to score out well. I think it was 25 layups. It was 60 points in the paint. Just an absurd number, especially for a perimeter-oriented team. And, you know, it was just, even though they were up at half, I mean, you know, they, you could just tell the flow of this game was not going the way Steve Peichel and Rutgers wanted it to go. Credit the seniors. I mean, you know, Ron Harper Jr., Geo Baker, Kayla McConnell, just huge, huge shots throughout this game. 
Cliff was just a beast inside with his dunking. You know, listen, Paul Mulcahy, he had, you know, a, a, a lot of good assists. He had some big buckets himself. Offensively, I mean, it was a great performance. Uh, it, was, it was highly efficient. And, um, you know, they scored enough points to win. But at the end of the day, they couldn't get any stops. You know, Steve Peichel mentioned in the postgame, they, they categorize a stat called kills where they get three stops in a row, three possessions in a row, and they didn't have one the entire game. And I think that just kind of sums up the reason for the loss. You can gripe about a lot of things, obviously officiating, you know, sure, there were some missed calls there. I think that, you know, the foul call on McConnell uh, towards the end of the game was was a bit puzzling. You know, he also that great steal and, and and layup he had at the end of the first half. He was fouled on, wasn't called. You got to wonder about that and one. You know, there's always going to be those what ifs on, on officiating. But, you know, it wasn't the reason they lost the game. The inbounds play got a lot of, you know, gripes and complaints about, you know, again, I don't look at that as any one player. You know, I know people like to blame Paul Mulcahy for the pass, but, you know, it was it was. It was kind of a bizarre play the way they lined up away from the baseline. You know, they were closer to half court. There was no screens on the play. Um, there were some fakes. You know, really, it, I, I think this is where kind of minutes kind of kind of took its toll a little bit. No one. Uh, and this is when they were up one in, um, you know, first overtime, 27 seconds to play. I've, I've watched this repeatedly slow motion. And, um, you know, there really weren't a lot of hard cuts made by any Rutgers players. You know, the, the what if for me on that play was Geo cut to the um, to the baseline and there was a split second there where he was wide open and then a Notre Dame player kind of crashed into him. So if Mulcahy had reacted quick enough, he could have gotten it to him. It was kind of a, a safer pass, not throwing it into the abyss. And Geo probably would have been fouled on the play and go to the line. Again, another huge what if. But it was a split second where he, you know, he, he didn't make the play and had to look out. You know, and again, even though Ron was kind of, you know, covered and everything, if it was just the, the timing, it was it was so close to being connected, didn't happen. Notre Dame steals it, takes the lead. Obviously, Rutgers was able to tie it on uh, Ron's um, bank shot three to send it to double overtime. But, um, you know, it, listen, I, I think it's hard to blame any one person on this play and, and in this game. You know, they all made big plays. They all made mistakes. You know, I... I do think that, you know, even though the menace took its toll, I, I understand why Paykel, he rode with his horses, you know, for better or for worse. And I stuck with his starting five, and that was really a theme the entire season. I do think that, you know, we talk about it in games when a team falls behind, you know, a lot. Northwestern game is a great example, down 24 points. You expend so much energy to get back into the game. By the time you get there, and you, you, you know, you, you're either within one possession or you take the lead, a lot of times that other team then responds with another run and is able to hold on because it takes so much to get back into it from being that far in a hole. And I think the entire season kind of encapsulates that for Rutgers, the way they put themselves in such a big hole in November. They, you know, valiantly fought back the entire year, miraculously, you know, even early February, you know, nowhere close to NCAA tournament contention. Obviously, you know, that four-game historic winning streak against ranked foes, but I just think, and I don't think it was necessarily running out of gas per se, but I think that, you know, it took so much to get to the NCAA tournament that once they got there, you know, unfortunately on the defensive end, they just, they weren't, they weren't there. And maybe it was, you know, a combination of things, but they, they did not put together their best uh, or even, you know, their, their middle performance defensively. And ultimately it cost them two years in a row going out on an offensive rebound, you know, listen, we're fans, right. As fans, I mean, it was, is, you know, it was a stomach punch loss. It was, 
hard to take. Uh, I don't think it's a loss any of us will ever get over. Obviously, the season, you know, had a lot of missed opportunities. There were a lot of accomplishments as well. Obviously, you know, finishing fourth in the Big Ten, historic. At the same time, you know, you look at some of those losses, they could have done better. You know, um, they could have won this game against Notre Dame. So there's a lot of what ifs. There's a lot of, um, you know, missed opportunities, but there was a lot of thrilling, um, you know, moments, games, performances. And, you know, as I wrote about earlier this season, trying to sum up what this season meant for me, it was the most memorable season. It wasn't wasn't the, the best or the greatest season. It wasn't, you know, a bad season by any means. For me, it was just it was the most memorable. I think that's how, how I kind of look at it in terms of just so many ups and downs. This game against Notre Dame was kind of, you know, highlighted all of that in one game. And, um, you know, I was in that press conference with, with the seniors and Pykele after the game. And, you know, I was I was uh, virtually and uh, I was I was virtually in, in the one last year after Houston. And, you know, they're both, I mean, just gutting to sit there and even be able to, you know, be able to come up with a question of my own was hard enough and and just seeing the emotion on these players and how much they cared. And and for me, that was the most rewarding part in seeing just these three seniors, how much they cared about representing Rutgers and wanting to make Rutgers fans proud and making Rutgers, you know, gain respect nationally within the Big Ten. You know, people, it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget how bad things were before those guys got here, before Pykel got here. And, um, you know, listen, it's, there's, there's steps in every process and, there's, you know, there's no linear build anywhere. And while, you know, we'll always wonder if this team could have accomplished more, we really have to appreciate all they have accomplished this this past season and this past three years, you know, specifically with the senior class. And and that's remembering guys like Miles Johnson, who's still playing with UCLA in the Sweet 16, you know, contributions of Jacob, Jacob Young, Montez Mathis, you know, going back to two years ago, you know, uh, Akwazi Yaboa and Shaq Carter. I mean, all those all those guys had an impact in where Rutgers is now. And um, as fans, you know, uh, we're mourning the loss, but I think we have to appreciate how far we've come. And, and obviously now we're looking at the next step, a new era of, um, you know, players. And, and I understand there's concern and, you know, people are worried. And I think at the end of the day, Pykele wants to win. And he has, you know, he, he's, he's been pretty bold in saying he wants to win a national championship. Is he going to do that? with two-star, under-recruited guys that he's going to develop, it's, it's got to be a combination. I think there's been an overreaction in that he, he has always had that balance. You know, Jacob Young was a four-star transfer. You know, Montez Mathis was a highly recruited, uh, rated recruit. Cliff O'Murray, top 50, high, second-highest recruited recruit in, in program history. Paul Mulcahy was a national recruit. You know, Derek Simpson is kind of underrated, but at the same time, people you talk to, evaluations, analysts, he's got a really high upside. So, you know, they're going to continue to to, to find these guys and, and develop players. I think that's the biggest confidence. You know, you have some programs that they're great recruiters. They bring in four or five stars, but those players don't ever get better. Look at Alabama, you know, full of four and five star players that that team never really came together this year. They had some high moments, but they lost four in a row to end the season. You know, you've had other local examples, you know, the Big Ten. I just think it's 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 an, a very unique league. I think there's a lot of turnover next year. I think there's more talent on the roster coming back than people give credit to. And I think that's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fascinating offseason to see how Pico rebuilds. Obviously, it's going to have to to land some impact players in the portal. I think, you know, there should be some hope that maybe you could land a, a um, you know, really quality recruit in the 2022 class. And I think it's also very important 
to land a big recruit in the 2023 class in the fall before the season starts. Not that I think the season's going to go poorly, but I think whenever you have that bird in hand going in signed in the early signing period, going into the season, it just helps the recruiting cycle the rest of the way in terms of drawing other players in. So a lot to talk about this offseason. This won't be the last time we talk about it by any means. Wanted to just rehash this season, the impact of the senior class, and just, you know, kind of the last three years and, and how fans have interpreted things and everything with, you know, no one in my mind to do it better with than longtime on the Banks contributor, season ticket holder, uh, professional author, Dave White, who we welcome in now. It's my pleasure to now welcome back to the podcast, longtime on the Banks contributor, longtime Rutgers basketball, season ticket holder, social media coordinator for the court club, the Rutgers <laughs> basketball uh, booster club, published and uh, distinguished author. I'm sure I'm forgetting something else, but Dave White, welcome back. How is everything? And thanks so much for being here. What's going on, Aaron? Thanks for having me. I, I, I missed this from last year, so I'm, I'm glad to be back and ready to go. Last year we spoke before the NCAA tournament game. This year I thought it was more appropriate to talk once it was all over. Just to put the perspective into the senior class, this three-year run, didn't think there was anybody else better to talk to about it than you. Yeah, I mean, it was def- it's definitely it's over, <laughs> which is crazy. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was a fun run too. So I'm ready to talk about it. All right, so let's start with last Wednesday, the first four game, Notre Dame, one of the craziest games I can ever remember in college basketball, let alone Rutgers. I guess... Talk me through your emotions or just your biggest takeaways or, you know, even just things you've thought about in the last week about that loss. So here's where I ended up. I, I feel like during that game, I managed to bring myself to, okay, we're going to have a game on Thursday, uh, Friday, and then, okay, we're going to lose to, okay, we're going to have a game. Like, I went back and forth, like, emotionally, like, trying to come to terms with it, like, six times just in the course of that game. But I think where I came down was last year, that Houston loss, that one really gutted me. Yeah. Um, I was heartbroken. You know, you saw that path for the final four. I was down for a couple of days. This one, it's, it was more, it was such a crazy game. It was such a wild, fun season. And, you know, I was more sad to see these seniors go in a way. I, I think that's where I came down where, yeah, it stunk that they lost and would have liked to see them get a couple more games. But it wasn't the loss that that brought me down. It was the seeing, you know, Gio be done and Ron and Caleb probably be done and that sort of thing. So what about you? Yeah, the finality of it. For me, the whole last, I mean, the whole season, it was the emotional part of knowing that it was kind of their last run, their last ride. And, you know, having them get off to such a bad start. You know, I never, I, I just remember, I think we even talked about this at some point in the season. It was like, it didn't, it, it didn't feel right that, like, they weren't going to make the NCAA tournament. Like, they couldn't go out yeah. not making the NCAA tournament. And the way they made it is the most ridiculous way ever. So it was kind of appropriate that the way they ended their season and their careers potentially in the NCAA tournament with that kind of game, you know, it just it made sense. I just felt during the game, I remember, you know, like, being up five at halftime, I, honestly, I – I didn't feel good about it. Like that was not the type of game that Rutgers wants to play. I, I hate in postseason games when they interview coaches 
in the middle of the games. But if you remember, <laughs> it was early. It was early in the first half. They interviewed Peichel, and he looked like a freaking madman. Yeah, and his he did, eyes he did. were bulging out they of his head. They were like head. wide, yeah. And honestly, I felt like he knew in his gut, like he was like, this is not the start. This is not the way we want this game to go. And even though they were going toe to toe and they were actually outplaying Notre Dame on the offensive end, that was never the way they, that's not, that's not Rutgers basketball. As much as people want them to be this offensive fun team. And that game was fun at the end of the day, that's not the way they win. You can see it in his face because he, even in close games, he doesn't want to win on the buzzer beater. He wants to score and get a stop. And I think he knew that even if they scored to take the lead, they weren't getting a stop. Like, and that's kind of the way his face looked like. We're, we're just not getting stops. And they hadn't, you know, I think they said it in the broadcast, but I don't think anybody in the Big Ten plays that five out offense. So I don't know, you know, they hadn't seen that, you know, and I don't know if they were able to plan for it the way they had hoped. They were so determined to cut off the three. Well, that that's what, you know, I went back painfully and I watched the tape and it oh, was God. like, you know, like I've never seen, and, and, you know, people want to blame certain players and everything, but honestly, like all five starters got beat off the ball, uh, beat off the, the dribble, mm-hmm. like multiple times. I've never seen, I've never seen it. Like, I, I don't want to say it was the worst performance defensively. I remember in a Pikele team, but the last one I can remember in my head where it was like that, where they were getting blown off off the dribble, was, believe it or not, last year's Syracuse, if you remember. There oh, was yeah. like that stretch where it was like they just went back and forth, back, and like they could not stop Syracuse. They ended yeah. up stopping in the end and winning the game, obviously, by 10. But like I remember back then, it was like that. This is what, what is this defense? I've never seen Pykel's team play this deep. And then against Notre Dame, it was just the entire game. They were getting beat off the dribble. And I don't know if it was a mental, like, half second. They got to the perimeter and they like thought we can't let him shoot a three and that split second thought, boom, they were gone. But yeah, and Cliff was wasn't like, Cliff wasn't there to erase them either, so it looked extra bad because they pulled Cliff away from the hoop. Well, and and honestly, it got so muddled in the second overtime. Like I was, I mean, I don't even know like the matchups who was covering who. It was, <laughs> you know, there was so they really got messed up by the screening action, and it was, uh, yeah, there was a point where Cliff was on. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was it wasn't um, it wasn't Atkinson, it wasn't a big guy, and he followed him out to the perimeter, and it yeah. was like, oh, you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. But, but listen, I mean, you know, very well could have hit a three if he left him go. So it's right. easy, you know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm not trying to be specifically critical of him, but it was just defensively they they and you know, listen. They all played 40-plus minutes. I think this is where it comes down to the bench. Definitely yeah. hurt them in that game. Obviously, yeah. they didn't score, but they looked gassed in the second half, yes. uh, second overtime. Defensively, they just they, they looked gassed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even on offense, they they hit a couple deep threes, like Caleb and, and um, yep. Ron hit those big threes. They weren't attacking, you know, so they were gassed, and you were just hoping to escape. Yeah, and, and just the fact that back-to-back years they go out on an offensive rebound. Yeah. You know, <laughs> brutal, brutal. Right, and, right. You know, and I agree with you. Last year was definitely, I think because it was our first time there too in, in 30 years, and it was also a trip for the Sweet 16, and they had a huge lead. It just yeah. felt awful. 
this obviously feels awful, but in a different way, I think. And like you said, the finality of, of the, the senior class. But, you know, looking back, looking back on it, today was more like being sick about they could have, like, they, 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 were, they were better than that, you yeah. know, defense. And that's what, that's what I'll always say. Honestly, I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I think you're the same way. Like, we're taking those losses to the grave. Like, I'm going to be <laughs> – yeah. my last breath, I'll be like, Notre Dame and Houston, I'll probably mutter under my breath. Like, that's how I'm going to feel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tend to, like, in the summer, um, if I'm just hanging out, I'll, I'll throw on, like, the five-minute Big Ten highlights. I will not. I've watched bits and pieces of this game in the past week, but I will not watch this. I don't watch Houston, and I don't watch this. Like, I won't watch this, even though they were great games. Like, I've watched the Lafayette highlights, but I but I won't because I just can't figure that out, the Lafayette yeah. game. So I've, I'm like, I watched the highlights to look for, like, some sort of hint, like what happened. But um, this game was just – there's nothing you can do about it. So – they got in the tournament. You know, we were kind of talking about, I think, in the comments, somebody said, you know, maybe it would have been better to get into the NIT and no. win a couple games. But no, you you are a two-time NCAA team and should be three if not for COVID. You know, so, I mean, that's kind of where I am. Like, we've you've seen NCAA games because you kind of grew up around Rutgers. I didn't grow up, you know, with Rutgers basketball until 98. So I've never seen this. And I'm 42. You know, so, <laughs> you know, so like I, I'm trying to to take this season as as this was special. You know, the last two years, last three years were special. So totally agree. I mean, I, I, I that's you know, I even wrote about this, you know, like looking at all the Rutgers teams lately, like every Rutgers team that's been in the NCAA tournament over the last year and a half, every time they lose in the NCAA tournament, it's like the word like just gut punch right. like you know i mean listen it's it you know like even field hockey the way they lost this year yep women's soccer you know it was like just awful men's lacrosse like yeah. you don't lose in the NCAA, you know Rutgers, and and some teams do like we saw seton hall they lost what by 28 points i mean it was yeah. embarrassing you know Rutgers doesn't lose the ncaa tournament like that they have to go out the most painful just you know kick you in the teeth and, the, and the, <laughs> the, the gut, I mean, it's just brutal, brutal losses. But um, listen, that's, you know, I, yeah, we watched the NCAA tournament for 30 years saying, oh, oh God, one year Rutgers is going to make it. What's it going to be like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually, on Selection Sunday, um, I'll tell you the story, we actually had friends over. And I had to, like, warn them in advance because I was in a panic all day. I had no idea whether they were getting in. I watched that Davidson-Richmond game, live and dying with that game. And so I, I like, warned them. I'm like, listen, I'm putting this Selection Sunday show on. And we're just waiting to see Rutgers. And then when they announced it in the first fight, first of all, I think Brad Wachtel had them playing UConn. And UConn popped up in, like, that first quadrant of the bracket, like the first one they announced. I'm like, oh, this could be it. And then it wasn't. And I'm like, no, of course, it's Rutgers. We're going to have to wait the last five minutes of the this, this show. And then it was the next one, and I got up. I was cheering. These people thought I was <laughs> insane. <laughs> I ordered a T-shirt on the spot, which still isn't even here yet. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's uh, – yeah, it was uh, – I know. The emotion of it all, it was like, you know, the whole last few weeks of the season just – I mean, going back to just the first week of uh, February, yeah. before the – 
Michigan State game, I mean, we, you know, they weren't even on the NIT bubble. Right. So, right. That's right. So I guess my, my question, my next question would be, you know, taking the emotional part out of it, you know, like part of you has to be a little upset or frustrated, right? That like, there's no, this team had no business being in the position they were, right? I mean, if they, if they, they, they very well with the, the way that starting five was, in my opinion, they could have, you know, if they took care of business mm-hmm. for the most part, not even all the games, but like if they would have won most of the games, they really should have won in terms of inferior competition. And I'm talking even the big 10. I mean, they could have been a six seed or a seven yeah. seed. They could have, but I got to a point, like I was talking about early on with the Notre Dame game where I was coming to terms with it either way, like six times during the season. I came to terms at the COVID break real early where I was like, all right, I got to see the season could be a disappointment, but that Purdue game was insane. And now I don't even know if I'm going to be back in because right after the COVID break, I got COVID. So I didn't go to um, Nebraska or Michigan, those games. Uh So I kind of came to terms with, all right, anything else from here on out is gravy. Like I am having fun with this season. I'm going to try and enjoy the moment. Which I think, you know, people listening to this, I'm sure our, our usual commenters are where me and some of and you and some of the commenters are kind of button heads a little bit because I yeah. was determined to enjoy. I call this a great season because it was a great season. It was so much fun. Even the Lehigh game, like being back in the stands and cheering for the first time in 600 days, you know, like it was just so much fun. And that's why I, I watch sports. You know, I, I find the 98 Yankees, as a, and I'm a big Yankee fan, I find the 98 Yankees kind of boring. The 99 Yankees kind of boring. But the 2001 Yankees and the 2003 Yankees were insanely fun because the games are crazy. And you got mm-hmm. such highs and lows. So, I mean, that's how I watch sports. And, and you know, so I guess I, I was frustrated in the moment of the Maryland loss and the Northwestern loss. But then it swung wildly the other way, and I was like, "This is amazing!" You know? <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I, I just think that you know when they when they did disappoint, it was it was hard to take because we thought we, because we we believed in them so much, mm-hmm. and we thought they were capable of so much. And listen, they accomplished so much. Yeah. But you know, I I, I do feel. It's tough because I, I, I feel like, that you know, they, they, they were so close to accomplishing even more. They, yeah, yeah, they were. I mean, every every year they were close to accomplishing more. Like, I know people who were convinced that 2019-2020 team was going to the Sweet 16. No problem. Yeah. Um, last year they should have – they had a – had they gotten past Houston, they had a clear path to the Final Four, you know, uh, where they matched up well against everybody. And this season – if they get past Notre Dame and right, if Geo hits that shot at the buzzer, they're not wiped out. They probably get to Sunday night because Alabama yeah. looked terrible. It was Alabama, yeah. right? Not yeah. Alabama looked terrible. So, I mean, they always have <laughs> had a chance. It's just the way it goes sometimes. Well, I think there's always going to be what ifs for teams that have, you know, actually come through and have success. You know, there's always mm-hmm. going to be, that thought that they could have had more success, more success. But obviously what this group did the last three years is, is just, I mean, we've never seen it before. It's no. uh, <laughs> unprecedented. Obviously we have older fans that, you know, remember the seventies, even the early eighties. And, um, yeah. but you know, 
being in this situation, I mean, you know, no disrespect to those teams, but I mean, 20 big 10 games a year, it's like that, you know, and, and, and it's just um, what they were able to do uh, with the way that Pico built the team. I, I you know, we'll, we'll look back on it and um, it's obviously we're never going to forget it. And I do believe I am a big believer in the adversity they had in the beginning of the year for whatever reason was necessary for them to become when, when they were able to reach those moments of greatness they had to have failed before to get to where they were. Yeah, I agree with that completely. All right. So moving on a little bit, uh, but I think, you know what, actually I wanted to touch on one thing you said about, you know, obviously this season elicited a ton of emotion. I wanted to ask you about just the last three seasons, how you feel fan reaction has changed because I do feel the one, the one part, the one emotion that I do not understand is the anger that I think, is definitely out there. And, you know, like, and it's not just Rutgers fans, it's, it's college sports, it's pro sports, it's social media. But when people go after a certain player, which we've seen, and I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to bring attention to it, but you know, we know that there's fans that go after players. We know that there's fans that go after the media. We know there's fans that go after us. I mean, I was getting, you know, I've never had a season where people wanted me to just destroy the team. Like begging me, you know, like just like goading me into why am I not doing that? And for me, that was that was new this year. I I feel like success just more success breeds kind of I don't know want to say crazier reactions, but more severe reactions. Yeah, I I don't get it either, and I think part of it. I mean, there's social media and all that, but I think part of it is people who haven't paid attention not saying they're not fans but haven't paid attention because they were really bad for a long time now popping in and being like oh this is great but i want more you know and and i think someone like you or me or some of the court club guys who kind of sat through some of the eddie jordan era and i know people don't want to talk about it. like they're past that they don't want to talk about that anymore it's talking about how we can get better but if you look at college basketball programs nobody just gets better gets better it took jay young 15 years at <laughs> one final four in 15 years and then and then in 2016 he won it and then he won two right jay right jay right what who did i say jay young Young, Fairfield, Jay Wright. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Pico is a bad coach if he's the next three years can't get out of the first weekend or misses the NCAA for you. You know, it's part of it, and I think there's not there's no perspective. Uh, there's just what's next and how are we going to fix this, and we have to have it fixed now. You know, and I, yep. I think people don't even want to know what the roster is going to look like next year. You know, the one guy has declared for pro. Nobody's transferred yet. I'm sure somebody will. And nobody's come in yet. You know, we don't know what the roster, but oh, the bench didn't score uh, points in two, in two games. You know what? They also, Dean Reber was a god in the middle of February. So, you right. know, like it's such, people want to go game by game and use that as the barometer for the next. 10 years whereas it's that's not what it's like and and that's what gets me it's like you got to take a bigger perspective and you got to be patient 
Yeah, and I, I, you know, you say Eddie Jordan, but I mean, right or wrong, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still pissed about the Kevin Bannon era. Like, you yeah. know, yeah. like I'm still pissed at Mike Rice, you know? Right. Honestly, I, I've told you this before. I mean, I saw his, his introductory season conf- press conference his last year, his third year. I mean, I've never heard a more impressive press conference from a coach just in terms of, this is who we are. This is what we're good at. This is what we're not good at. This is where we have to get better. It was so mm-hmm. impressive. I was so high on him as a coach. So disappointed when he did what he did and went down the way he did and just brought the program down with him. So we're carrying baggage. I mean, that's what yeah. fans do, right? We carry baggage. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, the, the funny part to me is like that, That you know, like Peichel, he's not here to make friends. Like he's here to win. You know, like he has a plan and we're, yes, you know, Iowa State, people bring up Iowa State, you know, they won two games and now they, they've got six guys in the portal and now they're in the Sweet 16. Okay. Right. They had nobody on the roster. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't, you know, and, and like I had to remind somebody the other day that they were talking about the transfer portal and, you know, Pico's never gotten a good, you know, it's like, well, what about Jacob Young? Everybody complains that he left, but nobody remembers that Pico got him out of Texas when he did nothing for Texas. He was a yeah. forced bust. And right. Michael man, and he he turned him into a, a good player. Like yeah. there's no it's it's a short memory. And yes, Michael didn't I, I I mean I agree. Listen, he didn't get enough out of the portal last year, but he also he didn't have any starting minutes to, mm-hmm. to sell. You right. know? And if he's gonna be loyal to the five guys that he rode you know, listen, even in that Notre Dame game, I mean, maybe he rode them too hard, but I, I'd rather go down that way. I'd rather yeah. him go down being loyal, putting everything in those five guys. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work versus doing something out of character and, you know, putting someone in for, in key minutes that isn't, you know, might not perform. I'd rather, that's too much of a what if. I'd rather go down swinging <laughs> with the guys that got you there. And that's, that's yeah. what he did the entire season. Right. And I, I don't know why fans would want to displace players that had been here for four years and clearly worked. It's not like they had five guys who could start that. um, I'm saying that wrong, but it's not like they had a clear guy that you're like, okay, we can run this guy out. Like you wanted those five kids on the court. You know, I I wanted Gio and Ron and Paul and Caleb and, and Cliff on the court. And and I wanted to see what Mawat Mag could do. He scored 13, 10 points against Purdue. You know, was it ten? I forget. It was double digits against Purdue. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it, it, like it's not linear, and it you don't want to run these guys off. It's not the way to to build a program. I mean, people know I've met, and you have too. Half the team, like that, that's kind of special. It's not something you get with the Yankees or the Giants or the Red Sox. You know, you don't meet half the team. You know, <laughs> that's the cool part about college basketball. And and sometimes displacing that causes more problems within the team than we would know. So I'm interested to see what he does this this offseason. Right. So shifting to that, you know, how important, obviously, you know, a lot still has to happen. You know, he could still add someone from the 22 class. He could mm-hmm. um, obviously the portal. You know, we don't know about Jaden Jones if that's, you know, is he going to go pro? Is he going to go, you know, uh, is he going to transfer? Is he going to come back? If he comes back, you know, how is that going to go? Um, 
obviously, you know, Andre Hyatt, uh, Moat Mag, Dean Reber all have a potential to do more. But I, I think people are discounting the fact that you have two key pieces in Mulcahy and Cliff that, you know, those are two good pieces to build around. I mean, you have, are you, you know, other than Zach Eady, I think I am, you know, I might be missing one person, but I think that Cliff is the best big man coming back aside from Zach Eady in the big 10 next year. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Maryland has the, the Georgetown transfer for another year. Kawab, Kuhab, but I don't know yeah. how good he is. Cliff is. Cliff is better than him, in my opinion. So there are pieces, and people aren't going to want to hear this, but Heichel's going to have to find the right fit to surround those pieces. You right. know, it, it can't just be, oh, you know, some former five-star guy is on there. Well, what if he plays, the, you know, a former five-star center? You're not going to bring him in when you have the best big man in the Big Ten. <laughs> you right. know, just because he's a five-star. You want to find you know, the guy you can dish to on the wing to shoot, who can also defend. You know, I think that's probably what they're going to need. Well, I I, I, tweet, that tweet from that Alabama reporter when they lost to Notre Dame, and he said, Nate Oates, the coach of Alabama, needs to stop bringing in five stars that yes. can't shoot and needs to find fits to his own system. And right. that happens a lot, of, a lot of places. You know, coaches take that next step. They go to that high major and they think it's, you know, they only recruit stars and not for their system. Pike goes the opposite and it, you know, drives people crazy. Uh, I actually have, you know, I'm going to write something from quotes I got from him at the end of the season talking about it. And, you know, it's going to probably piss people off because, <laughs> you know, but, but, but I do think that, you know, people forget, like, I mean, they had three, four stars on campus in the fall you know, he recruit. I mean, he, he recruited Nas Reed pretty hard. Yep. He recruited Trey Patterson extremely hard. Mark like, Armstrong. He's losing guys. The guys he's losing, he's losing to UConn and Nova. It's not like he's losing them to Northwestern, you know? Right, right. Yeah, no, he's right. And and uh, I, I think, you know, we've said this before, but, I mean, the Wisconsin-Iowa model, people don't want to hear it. But, I mean, the last three seasons, Wisconsin-Iowa Rutgers – they all signed one four-star player. That's yeah. it. Yep. And all three teams are three of six Big Ten teams to win 10-plus games. Only six 10 team, Big Ten teams have done it. Three of them are Rutgers, Iowa, and Wisconsin, and they all signed one four-star player in three years. So I get it. You know, obviously we lost, you know, if Ron leaves, which it looks like it, Geo, we need shooters, we need scorers. You know, he's, got, he's obviously got to land – I think two really impactful guys from the transfer portal, but why are we thinking he's not going to, you know, <laughs> he might, he might not get the, 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 the hottest name that everybody wants, but look at like Michigan last year with Mark Smith, but you know, Mike Smith at, at a Notre, uh, Northeastern, yeah. you know, they signed a point guard from a, a low major, you know, didn't have a ton of stars and he made that team too. I mean, they won the yeah. big 10 title. I think most, I don't want to say mostly, but, he, I think without him, they don't win it. Right. And and we kind of see already some names that you can kind of see what Michael's looking at. He, he's talked to Sam Sessoms out of Penn State and this Neil Quinn from Lafayette. You know, it's it's not – oh, I don't even know who the big name who's transferring right now. But you, you got to look for the fit. And I, I think it's interesting that he's looking at a point guard in Sessoms, you know, a smaller guy. and And – Quinn 
I guess, would be a backup five to start or he can play power forward. You know, it's like he has a plan and he knows what he's looking for. So we'll see what he gets. <laughs> he might bring in, you know, a 2022 kid that he thinks can can score and maybe Derek Simpson can score, you know? So, and maybe yeah, James Jones I- comes back. Well, and I think I think for him, he's always looking for versatility, right? And mm-hmm. I think he's willing to evolve. But I think the thing that maybe upsets people is that, I mean, he's not he's not going to change off of he, he's always going to be defensive coach first. And yep. if you if you look at if you look at the results, I mean, Rutgers went eleven and zero against high major teams this year when they when they held high majors to sixty five points or less. Join the join the Pikel Speed Limit Club. I got right. that in there. <laughs> right, but. But that, you know, he's never going to change, you know, and Notre Dame, he's going to put, he's going to put on the billboard and say, see, like we, Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to win that way because you can easily lose that way. I want to win 62 to 60. I think, I think you and I talked back in, in the 2020, 2021 season too, early on, they, uh, there were warning signs that that losing streak was coming because they were winning games 85 to 80 in, you know, that Illinois game was like 80 to 78 in regulation. That's not a game that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think, I don't think that was the exact score, but I, I know that the, the, they gave up a ton of points. It's give, he loves a grind. And I love personally, I love watching a grind. I loved that Iowa game. Yeah. So much. <laughs> so. But. Yeah, it was, it was classic. It was classic. I think uh, so. I guess going back to that, for me, the biggest failure, I guess you could say, uh, in the portal last year was, you know, Ralph Eiji, like he was an offensive guy, you know, like I, I yeah. guess maybe thought he could turn him into a defensive, you know, because listen, that best team, right? We, we agree 1920, 2019, 2020. Who did they have coming off the bench at the five? They had Shaq Carter. And yep. he, you know, he he didn't get the headlines. He didn't have great stats, but he was a really good defensive sub inside. And yeah. they were sorely missing that this year. And I think that was, for me, that was the biggest, that was the one piece I think they needed. Obviously, he went after the right guys. He went after Harar. He went after mm-hmm. Pauly Polycap, who wasted yep. away West Virginia and made a huge mistake in terms of opportunity to make an impact, yeah. right? He got buried on the bench. Where he would have been, I, I mean, I think I it kills me. I think he would have been great coming off yeah. the bench as a defensive five and grabbing rebounds because that was a, a struggle for this team a lot. When when they would lose, it was the rebounding. It's like so. Well, that's that's what's interesting is as they've gotten better and as they've had more success, mm-hmm. they haven't been as good defensively or rebounding. No, no, they haven't. But all right, so I'm going to put you on the spot because I I see the timer and I want to make sure I get this in. What do you think is the potential for next year? Let's say he gets two two transfers like we're talking about. Let's say yeah. he gets somebody who can shoot in a backup five or something like that. What is our potential for next season? Because it's way different than what this season was with a ton of experience. Yeah, I mean, I yes, but at the same time, you know, you have Cliff and Paul back. You have you have reserves that I mean, listen, player development wise, there should be no doubt that we know players are going to get better under Pykele. Not everybody, but between Mag, uh, Hyatt, uh, and Reber, right? If Reber moves to the stretch four and they get a legit five and play Reber at the four, which I know you're not sold on, but I, I feel like might I feel like that could be the plan because right. I don't think he's ever going to be able to defend fives. No, you're probably right. 
I think offensively, him as a stretch four, I mean, he, I'm starting to believe in him as an, you know, he's always going to be an offensive player first. Not that he doesn't work his, super hard defensively, but, you know, he's going to have to bulk up if that's the case. But I, I, I think Hyatt, you know, he's got two years left. Mag's got two years left. Those guys can still have really good careers here, I think. I agree. So those guys are key. Um, you know, Jalen Miller, can he take a step forward? Uh, and I think Derek Simpson, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. You need two impact guys off the portal, I think. But the Big Ten's going to have a ton of turnover this yeah. offseason. Big Ten's going mean, to be down. Well, I'm, you never know. but Yeah, I mean, listen, you don't know exactly, but it's like Northwestern's a team, right? They could have all top nine guys back next year. True. That's true. Like, they, they, <laughs> I think next year could be even weirder in terms of like – the bottom and the top flipping and, you know, so where that shakes up for Rutgers, I, I, I don't know. I think obviously he's got to improve the non-conference schedule, but I just think sitting here now, everyone I, looking at the roster panicking and saying they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. And I, our friends at another podcast came out today and said, you know, they, the true, nope. are they going to make the, like, you can't even go there, but <laughs> possible. Yeah, I do. I, I don't know why we would sit here today and say, Rutgers is, you know, they're definitely going to have a losing season next year or NIT is the, is the ceiling because things can change so quickly in the offseason now. Here's my prediction for next year. Here it is. We're going to get two transfers that we're really excited about. And by game seven, someone in the comment section is going to be pushing those kids off the team because they're not adjusted yet. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Probably. Because it takes it takes time to learn the system, and you can't just plug those guys in. You know, it's it's not that's not the way um, it works in Pico's system, especially defensively. I mean, you saw it with Jaden Jones this year. I watched early on when he was getting playing time. Ron and Caleb had to point where he needed to be on the court on offense. Like he wasn't running the right cuts, and for me to be able to see that. Um, says something because I'm I don't always have the best eye for for cuts and off the ball stuff. So well that's why I think he's gotta get he's gotta get essentially like a grad transfer, someone that's super experienced, even if it's mm -hmm. you know at the low major or mid-major level. Uh you know, like Sesums I think would be great because obviously his big ten experience, I think that's gonna be a complicated, you know, uh situation uh potentially to get him and obviously a lot of competition, but you know, I would love to give it a stud from the Ivy league. Yep. Uh, those guys are four year guys that have to leave because of the stupid rule by the Ivy league. They can't stay. And those are the kind of guys that are just winners that mm -hmm. they're not leaving because they have an issue or, you know, and not that transfers can't redeem themselves, you know, or, or, or leave because there's an issue, but Ivy league players are forced to leave if they want that fifth year. And we've seen the last few years, so many, uh, you know, I mean, Makai Mason going to Baylor and, you know, um, so, so many uh, Ivy League players. I mean, we, we saw, listen, Atkinson with Notre Dame was, you know, yep. the Ivy League player of the year for Yale. So uh, I want one of those guys. I think that would be great. <laughs> um, Princeton obviously has a couple. I don't know if that's going to happen. Llewellyn, everybody wants Llewellyn. But yeah, no, I don't think Llewellyn, the other kid, the other kid, right, right, is that his name? Yeah. Would be yeah. a really nice fit, yeah. But if you add Neil Quinn, you know, he's got three years left, so that's intriguing. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's going to, yeah, certainly have an adjustment period. You got, I think you got to get a guard, a scorer mm -hmm. that's a veteran that can come in and make a huge impact right away.
And can I just say the the countdown on on this clock on this thing? I feel like I'm in a James Bond movie. Um, <laughs> but the the countdown's going. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's gonna be fascinating. It's gonna be fun off season. All right, if you so, look at it the right way. So basically, you know, we just had this open ended, you know, rant conversation. I'll give Cathartic. you the last. I'll give you. The, <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel like it was therapy. I hope our listeners feel that way too. Uh, you get the last word on anything you want to say uh, with this season and going into next. Um, I learned a lot about being a fan this season. And it, it's it's my theme for the season is this was just so much fun. Just we missed a whole year being at the rack and then coming back and just getting, you know, a rough start. Yes, but classic game after classic game. Uh, Purdue was amazing. Iowa, one possession game. That Ohio State was the loudest I've ever heard that building, and I was there for that UConn game years ago. I wasn't there for 1989. I know old people, but um, that was the loudest I've heard that building. I mean, just classic, classic game. My son walked out of the Penn State game. He's nine, just going, I I don't even know how to process that. So (laughs) this is just so much fun, and I'm just so grateful that, we got to witness that and see that and be a part of it. And and maybe that's what makes me soft on Teichel and this team, but I'm just so grateful that we basketball finally has its time here at Rutgers, that basketball is driving the bus, at least for a season or two. Dave White, always great to have you on. Thanks so much for being here. Always a pleasure and uh, great stuff. I hope you all listen. That was awesome. Join the court club. Join the court club. Thanks for Dave being here. Always a pleasure. Always fun. I felt like that just flew by. And, um, you know, we, we trade messages quite a bit about um, Rutgers basketball and it was good to talk to him. Hopefully you enjoyed it and uh, hopefully it resonated with, with how you're feeling as well as this season is now over and we move into the off season. We'll, we'll kind of uh, switch gears a little bit coming up here on the podcast, you know, with spring sports in full swing, obviously, you know, winter's Wrapping up, uh, wrestling had two uh, All-Americans at Nationals this past weekend um, with Greg Bolzak and uh, Sebastian Rivera. A little bit of a disappointment, I think, in terms of, you know, Rivera not getting a chance to wrestle for the National Championship, but he was a month removed from knee surgery. So pretty remarkable that he was able even to finish third in his weight class. And then you have gymnastics just posted their their best Big Ten Championship score uh, in program history. They have three uh, gymnasts going to, to NCAA regionals. Um, you have Abigail Napton that just uh, became an All-American again for diving. There's a lot of good stuff going on in the spring. Obviously, uh, men's lacrosse is ranked number six nationally, opens Big Ten play against Ohio State this weekend. Uh, Rutgers women's lacrosse lost the first loss of the season to number four Maryland. Tough loss there, but Big Ten play is now in, in, in uh, effect for them. So both teams are, you know, have a, have a real good chance to make the NCAA tournament this spring uh, for a second consecutive year. Rowing opens up shortly. Uh, they're number eight in the country. So lots of good things. Track and field's a program that this winter has made strides. Now they're going to open the spring season soon. So plenty to talk about here with Rutgers Athletics in the future uh, in terms of the next couple months. You can read all about it at onthebanks.com. We'll be back next week uh, talking Rutgers Athletics here at On The Banks Podcast. And um, appreciate everyone listening once again here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.